Hey, everybody. Uh, we got a great episode for you, and it's from The Vault. Yes, this is an old episode that we think needs to be heard a little bit more. And because uh, we have so much content that putting out new content when you haven't even listened to some of the old stuff, you need to. So this episode is uh, episode 504, uh, and it's the Hard Times founder, Matt Saincombe. And uh, we thought this one was really awesome. Came out a while back, and it just talks about... Uh, his news outlet that is satire, but also the music scene. It's a really cool, fun episode that we wanted to give you. And uh, we'll even have another fun episode from the vault next week. Uh, for all you in Emeryland, you will still be getting a brand new, fresh, current part due. If you haven't joined Emeryland, you should. You get so many amazing. I, I mean, I I get tired of saying it. How much you get? You get all the demos we've created for the our brand new album that's going to be coming out. You hear the demos. So you get to hear the song as it was first started, and then you'll eventually get to hear how it is completely done, uh, <laughs> completely finished. The new album. Uh, you will get the new album as soon as it's done. Months before the the public. Months before the peasants. Don't be a peasant. Join Emeryland. You get instant access to part two. Right now, you'll be able to go listen to Part Do, all the Part Do's. You get Emory specials, you get exclusive music, you get free pre-show tickets for any Emory show this year. We're playing uh, While Broken Arts Prevail EP completely, and it's almost always full of Emory landers who get in for free. You also get 20% off everything at emorymusic.com, songs and stories tickets, and custom songs, and also Mary Supply, our amazing sex toy store. Yes, Emory has a sex store. Uh, an, a sex toy store, a sex store, a sex toy store. And uh, you probably should go get a little something and get a discount. Join Emory Land, you get a discount. Just go to emorymusic.com to join. And if you want to support us without joining Emory Land, we have a link to our tip jar in the description. You can just tip. Hey, I'm, you don't want to be a part of a of a cool land or crew or world. Uh, you, you're kind of a solo person. Well, just give us a tip. Uh, we got a lot of shows coming up. August 26th, Orange County, California is for lovers. September 9th, Cincinnati, Ohio is for lovers. September 10th, Pelham, Tennessee, it's in a cave is for lovers. Tennessee is for lovers. It's in a cave. I'm bringing my kids. I cannot wait to show them, hey, look, your dad is playing emo music in a cave. You better be there. So that's September 10th. September 12th, Harrisonburg, Virginia. That's a special songs and stories show. Uh, it's going to be really cool. Uh, September 13th, Brooklyn, New York. With Slow Joy, September 14th, Asbury Park, New Jersey, with Slow Joy, September 15th, Washington, D.C., Songs and Stories, September 16th, Philadelphia, with Slow Joy, September 17th, Boston, Massachusetts, is for lovers. Boston, Mass. Boston, Mass. Seriously, though. Uh, once again, join Emory Land in Shallow Seas. We Sell Live is on sale right now. Uh, you get the vinyl before everybody else. You got the, everybody, uh, Emory Landers got the vinyl before everybody. It's just too much. It's too much to even list what all you get in Emeryland. It's totally worth it. You will love it. Join it. And uh, now let's head to the vault. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Every once in a while, I think I'm lying. 
All right, how y'all like that reworked classic? That is, I'll tell you what you're listening to there. I know you know the song. It's called Listening to Freddie Mercury. It's probably the most famous Emory song, the best no. song ever written. <laughs> it's maybe not the most famous one, but it's probably some a favorite song of a lot of people uh, of Emory. It's something about it stands out. But we did a version for it for our new show. I don't know if people know we have a new show. It's called, Are, pardon me, it's called Are You Listening? Which yeah. is also an Emory nod there. Uh, yeah. We do a show every Sunday night now. I don't know if you would missed you call it. Call it a variety show? What would you I call might call it, it a variety show. I call it Sunday night streamo. Oh yeah, yeah, I love that. <laughs> so we're doing something like a variety show where we we basically just got into where we're trying to do. You know how all the artists are doing streams, but they just are too serious. That's just the problem. Is most artists and musicians are way too There's serious. There's a damn pandemic. Can't somebody just play? You know, uh, rock me like a hurricane or something <laughs> fun. Like, give me a rock. Like, give me some joy, musicians. Everybody's like solemn, playing their acoustic guitar. Like, it's the end of the world. We know it's the end of the world. Play just something fun. fun. Yeah, that's right. So we we're doing this every week, and this week is especially special. Dave Elkins from May is going to join us. And we're working on a collaboration version of one of his songs uh, for this week. It's a famous May song, by the way. I won't tell you which one. You'll have to tune in Sunday. But mm -hmm. we're just doing different versions of songs from the basement with the drum machine and the synthesizer and having fun and making some videos and telling some jokes. And it's a lot of fun. We do it on Twitch. I think we might be on Facebook and everywhere this week. The show has been a blast. And it's not like we don't already have this show, but I tell you what, hanging out, making jokes, communicating with people, Doing new things has always kind of been what we've been about. Uh, got a good episode today. Let me tell you who. Wait, when does that uh, Are You Listening show air? What Sunday time they night tune in? at 7 o'clock Eastern time. Yes. And it gives you that old feeling of Sunday evening, afternoon, you know, when you're a kid, how that day yep. felt different. I just love that time of day. Late Sunday afternoon. It's got a unique vibe, and that's where we're going to slide on in there. Mm -hmm. It's a live show. Uh, Dev, it's me, Devin, and Toby. Mostly we'll have some guests, do some different stuff, but that's what it's about. So, Bad Christian, moving on for today. Today's show is sponsored by Hems. Hems is the one-stop shop for hair loss, skin care, and sexual wellness for men. Get started with your first month for free for at 4hems.com slash badchristian. Today's show also sponsored by Brooke Lennon. Put comfort first with new bedding, towels, loungewear, and more. Brooke Lennon's birthday sale kicks off April 25th, and you don't want to miss it. If you can't wait, you can still get 10% off and free shipping by the promo code badchristian at brooklennon.com. Today's show, lastly, sponsored by Quip, the Quip Electric Toothbrush. It's my favorite, and Quip makes it easy for me by delivering all of the oral care essentials I need to brush and floss better. Get, go to getquip.com slash badchristian and get your first refill pack for free. Okay, what is going on today, Toby? Well, as you know, it's my favorite holiday. Is it? It's a holiday? <laughs> yep. yep. 
Uh, what holiday this, is today? I mean, more than uh, the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. more than his resurrection <laughs> after his death. That's a big More one. than the uh, celebration of the USA on July 4th, my favorite holiday. Oh, it's Columbus Day? Nope, it is not. Nope. I thought that was your favorite. Nope. I don't, I, you I, colonial it used, bastard. It used, to be, it used to be so I found out his story. <laughs> <laughs> you, you were taught in elementary school that Columbus guy did all this great stuff. Then you find out later he was not good. Yeah. Yes. He, apparently it was, a, it was a real jerk. Uh, no, today is Earth Day. It's one of my favorite Earth days Day. ever because, I mean, obviously, we got to celebrate the Earth because it's been so good to us lately. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I, I think you're right. I think you're right. The uh, it, we Earth Day comes right after April Fool's Day, which was the other recent holiday, which was very quiet this year. You know what? No, that one just slid right on by. Like, yeah. Not, not going there today. Both are kind of inconvenient. The April right. Fool's Day wasn't nobody in a joking mood. That might have been like the real pinnacle of no jokes, USA. Right. I think I heard Judd Apatow on a podcast, and he was talking about doing stand-up and how you know, they're not doing stand up and everything now because there's no comedy clubs and this is such yeah. a live art form. And and he said that he didn't have any jokes or didn't feel like joking at all anyway. That and that's Judd Apatow. And wow. that was that was a few weeks ago, you know. But during that one time when it was everybody was really, really intense. I mean, it was no joke in April Fool's wrote that let's cancel that one. But you're right. We're gonna have <laughs> Earth Day today. Something strikes me a little bit funny about that. <laughs> But that—that's what I mean. We need those comedians. We need people cutting out. Like I mean, everybody knows how terrible life is right now. Like, or or the threat is real at mm-hmm. all times. You know, it, it for you, your family, and all that stuff. I really do wish more people were making fun of this stuff and doing more and getting out there. And the I wish the the rock bands were were playing fun songs like where I could just go fuck yeah in my house and and you know just have a little bit more time. You're right. Like. Now I have to sit here and go, wait, let me celebrate the earth, even though I can't hardly go out into it. And it seems <laughs> as if, it seems very much like the earth don't, don't like me too much. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It won't, it, it, I mean, do you think the earth is cel- has a celebration for human day? I don't no. think the earth would do that now. No. I do it, not it, think it, that. It canceled that holiday a long time ago in the other direction. Mother Nature seems to have it in for us I know. the way I look at it. Now, I understand I understand that we've not been so good to her. That's very right. obvious, very true. But it does seem like it may be somewhat of a competition between the two of us. Right. It might be, it might be a battle. And so I'm, I'm not really sure because you have, of course, this old pesky pandemic and pestilence type of situation going right. on. But also, in the broader sense, we're looking at the climate change thing, right? Right. I mean, that sounds like the Earth going. Okay, let me just tweak some of the thresholds here. I th- I, I think I'll be fine. I'll get rid of them. Doesn't that seem like like yes. I'm gonna turn the temperature up a few degrees, and then I'll be, I'll be fine. Trust me, she says. But not us so much. So it seems like we may be in a direct battle with old Mother Earth at the moment. But nonetheless, today Earth Day. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, I mean. You do think, like, I, I hear every single day that Donald Trump is trying to kill us all, right? Like, mm-hmm. he's trying to kill us all. And and that could very well be true. <laughs> like, could I, easily and, be true. <laughs> and I don't even know if he realizes he's doing that. Nah, <laughs> I mean, neither here nor there. You, you know what him. I mean? The, the, yeah, right. <laughs> but the world certainly does. I, I was just going back through, just in recent, very recent history, there's just like, I, I mean, okay, obviously we're living through a pandemic now. And they say pandemics happen about every hundred years or so, and here we are, right on schedule or whatever. 
But uh, the last one was what, 1917 or 18? It lasted a couple years, something like that, Spanish flu. But here, here we are with the pandemic. But even before that, there were unbelievable, horrific fires in Australia. There were, uh, during, you know, right at the beginning of the pandemic, there was a crazy earthquake. There's all kind. Of, I mean, there's been fires in, in California. You're right, global warming. The, it looks like, I mean, there are real potential uh, sea levels rising. There's all of these different things. And then all the things that have come from the earth seem to be horrible for us, too. Like, I, I was reading an article from USA Today, if I can still, if I can find it here. Um, and... This just, I was like, oh my gosh, you're right. Like just in the last, this, this article is basically uh, 2020, I look back at 21 things that have worsened in the last decade, just things that <laughs> in our life that have worsened. Now, is my marriage on that list? Oh, yeah, at number one, man. <laughs> <laughs> it ain't looking too good. You have better survival rate with the pandemic, my friend. <laughs> Uh, but I was just thinking like, okay, so uh, I, I think I typed in how bad is, is life or is the world trying to kill <laughs> how bad us? Or, is life? How bad is life? Is the world trying to kill us? We've never had in the history of the world uh, higher wealth and technology, access, mm-hmm. travel, I mean, uh, medical care, even though there's still tons of places that are in real bad shape, obviously, but uh, but I mean, overall... The world is way better than it was even, I mean, I would even say 10 years ago, but certainly, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago, 100 years ago, obviously, the world is way better. I mean, as far as trying to make your life easier, better, give you, you know, it's not perfect. But when when you look back on some, like, just some of the stuff I said, but then I started thinking about all the things that have come from humans and the earth, and then it just really gets you. So first thing they talk about here. In the last decade or so, you never even thought about this 20 years ago. Now you have to deal with social media addiction. That's just, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't even need to really that describe that. That one's not that. the Earth's fault. No, it, well, it's not the Earth's fault, but maybe the the minerals and the, uh, the, the way that the Internet and the computers were built. The, where, where did a computer come from? You're right. It came out, That's it the, came out the woods. Yeah, I blame it came the out the woods the for minerals. social media. Yep. You're right. Uh, opioid epidemic. Where did That's opioid come from? That's clearly the Earth's fault. Fucking Earth, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Name it. Uh, student loan crisis. Well, Earth. I mean, it's got to be. It wasn't my fault. I, wait, I'm trying to get do better for me and my family. Now, uh, I just owe, to survive the conditions on Earth, I had to go to college. How is that my fault? Air pollution certainly the Earth's fault. How is that the Earth's fault? Well, I mean, it's polluted. <laughs> like it should, doesn't clean up after itself. Is that your argument? Yeah, I mean, like if I you, have to clean. Well, let me, up let me ask you a question. If you have a party, invite a bunch of people over. Mm-hmm. You expect them to stick around and clean, or you no. go, "Thank you for coming. I got this." So, in your model, we're the guests here of the Earth. I don't, I don't know what other model could exist. And she's been a terrible host <laughs> lately. It really does seem like it. <laughs> I don't want to come to her party anymore. I know that. Okay. All right. What else I got here? <laughs> this is sir. This has to be maybe the Earth's fault. Obesity rates. Well, right? yeah. Right. I mean, couldn't there be more healthy stuff growing in my neighborhood and right. easier to, you know, better to, easier to yep. get food that's, that's not as bad for me? I, I think the Earth could probably uh-huh. help out with that. 
life expectancy. Let me put on my reading glasses here. Let me read this. <laughs> life expectancy in the United States was in a slow but steady decline between 2014 and 2017, the longest consecutive decline since 1918. 1918 was when the last pandemic happened, by mm-hmm. the way. Uh, according to the CDC's National Center for Health Statistics, a person born in 2017 is expected to live 78 years, down from uh, 78.6 years, down from 78.7 in 2016 and 78.9 in 2014. So uh, apparently when Obama was president, you lived longer. And now you do not live long at all. Income equality is bad. Diabetes rates mm-hmm. skyrocketing. Uh, what? A, oh, this one has to be the Earth's fault. Box office revenue plummeting. Yeah, just plummeting. <laughs> I mean, on Earth Day, you can't even go see a movie. I know. How, how, do, how do you to... celebrate? Right. Once again, global warming is another one. I mean, all all the our happiness is down. Your privacy. The world does not mm-hmm. protect you. People can look, the the ozone layer and all that stuff. Those satellites look right down into your house. Thanks a lot, Earth. <laughs> So, I mean, with all the smoke and smog and fog that we try to do to keep the satellites from looking into my house. Yeah, and it's does, per- does privacy. It work? No. <laughs> so, media sources, uh, our public infrastructure is horrible, obviously. It, I blame it, the plate tectonics for that and making the bridges crack and stuff. How about the mania for selfies? That alone. I mean, where do you take selfies at? On Earth. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so. Well, you know, the, I think that the weird thing about it is, clearly the Earth is our enemy. I think that's obvious. I think everybody knows that. But I do find it funny that there's many people that are spies, apparently, or something for the Earth, nope. because there's a lot of human beings that really don't like Team Human very much. I find the doom and gloom right. type of... of Mentality. The people are always forecasting. The, it's, I mean, it's it's an element that does actually, in, in a more serious way, really exist. It's people that that uh, it's the same people that dislike America just because, like, you want everything to be our fault, and you're glad right. when we fail because it's you know. I get in all seriousness that we are terrible to the earth, and the earth right. is not a nice thing. But uh, I do find it fascinating that there's seems like there's some people that are just like determinedly anti-human that that would want the earth to win if it really were such a battle and i find that puzzling a little bit you know what i mean do you have any thoughts on what that what is undergirds that mentality like america is bad i hope it fails and the earth would be doing the right thing if it wiped us out i understand that mentality yes i do have some thoughts on it but i wanted to blame the earth for one more thing okay uh i'm just gonna go there Male pattern baldness. Do, yeah. you, do you know that 66% of men <laughs> start to lose their hair by age 35? Did y'all know that? I didn't know that. Yeah. Once you started noticing thinning hair, it can be too late. Uh, is your hairline slowly starting to move backwards? Any bald spots yet? Seriously, 4 is where you need to go. It is the one-stop shop for hair loss, skin care, sexual wellness for men, and surviving the earth, I think, is, is probably another one they should add in there. That was my personal one, but I think maybe the 4 folks should add that in there. It's time to write a new chapter, and one in which you have hair. So, this is no snake oil pills or gas station counter supplements. This is prescription solutions backed by science. No more awkward in-person doctor's visits. You can't even hardly do that right now anyway. That, I mean, this is why so it's set up for you to have great hair, even in these crazy conditions we're living in right now. And you don't have to wait in the long pharmacy lines as well. 4 connects you to real doctors online 
which saves, which could seriously save you hours, and it's completely confidential and discreet. So right now, our listeners can get started with their first month free. Go to fourhymns.com slash badchristian. That's fourhymns.com slash badchristian. Now, prescription requires an online consultation with a physician who will determine if prescription is appropriate. Offer is valid only if prescribed, and three-month minimum subscription is, uh, you'll need a three-month minimum subscription, and additional restrictions may apply. See website for full details and important safety information. Remember, 4hymns.com slash badchristian. Now, here's why I think people also are on board with ending humanity or whatever. I, don't, I, don't. <laughs> I mean, is it true that there's people, there's humans that think humans are the the problem? Like that is a, there's li- there's a lot of divides. Like there's ri- right yeah. and left. Sometimes I think through that one. There's men and women. Oh, okay. Well, we, you know, there's different, that's different. There's racial divides. There's all these type of, there's yeah. rich and poor, which is the one I think is maybe going to be the most important one going forward. But is there really two teams and one of the teams is a anti-human team? Well, I, I mean, the only way it can exist is it is 100% completely hypocritical. If you actually believe that, then you would not live anymore so you could save the earth, right? But if you the thought, attitude feels that way, so I just don't even understand what that is. It's like anti-humanism. Is that a thing? Like, it, Do they know that, or is it just a it's just bad trying attitude? To, it's just what? trying to pick a, like, I'm team earth. I care about the animals and everybody, and you don't. And it's, it's trying to imply that you don't by living. The way you live, and but it, that's what I'm saying. It's it's very hypocritical. They I don't think they actually believe that because those people don't end their lives. If they really believe just being alive causes detrimental, uh, you know, we're sabotaging our planet, then they would end their life. To but show, is it true to show they, the difference? Yeah, but maybe they're cowards or something. But even that aside, but is it really true that they are resentful of humanity though? De- no, in a deep I don't way. Think so. I don't think so. I don't see. I, I don't really. I don't see how they'd have to be resentful of themselves. Is what I'm saying, right? Well, the only, they might. That's what I'm asking. Well, they is might it, hate themselves. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. And hate everybody. Yeah. I mean, I. Yeah, I believe that could be true for sure. I believe there are people that hate themselves and hate everybody. And is that maybe know. what that's a projection of, though? Like, of course, I'm not defending pollution or anything. I'm not saying we're trying to defeat the earth, but, or, or I mean, maybe a, here's another way to look at the question. Are we really a team, humans? Should we even think that way? Like, well, we're humans, so that right. matters. Like, because if you go into AI and what if we, you know, like, is humans an important team to even be on? It seems like it is. But if yeah, you, I, mean, if, I can't, I don't know if you can be on another team, can you? Can you not? I mean, can you just say, oh, okay, well, you can. You could say, for instance, if the AI comes along and is better, for instance. Right. Maybe that's good. And if the AI thinks that humans should be less powerful and no longer in charge, maybe that's okay. Like right. maybe you could have a position that that would you would say that well humans aren't the ultimate thing that needs to be protected above all other. I I mean maybe you could get there, but I'm trying to you know whether or not and, and is it possible that humans are a bad thing? Yeah, uh, yes, it's, <laughs> you know, like I, I can I, I, I can I think it's get more there. than possible. <laughs> I, I, yeah, but but that doesn't a net mean, negative. Yeah. But no. I can't I can't extract that I'm or, a, I, I'm I am a human out of right. That. So yeah, even I, if they I are that to, negative. Yeah. What do we do about that? We're, I mean, ev- evolutionarily, I would still, I have to fight to live, right? Like on some level. So I can't, I don't know if I can get that out of me. <laughs> like, I, I, yeah, I, right. But I mean, if I was a jackal in Africa or something like that, I would think my <laughs> life's way more important than the human life. 
right? Yes. I would I would murder a human. I would eat a human if I you know if I needed food or whatever. Like a human would mean if I was any other species or animal, I would not think it all about humans. But since I am one, I think yeah, we we get we're the most important. So, so I put, if we see the rise of conscious robots. And they are just better than us. Will yeah. you still be on this team and against that team if they wanted to rise to power the robots, like in Westworld? It just depends. these conscious robots, and maybe they're better than us, and they seem to want to rise to power. I guess it, it would depend on what the, what do they do to humans. Well, just I mean, I'm, you know, put us in the secondary position and tell us what we need to be doing and control us in whatever way they see fit. Of course. Just like yeah, we would do to any like other that. species. No, yeah, I wouldn't want to do that. You're right. You're so we'd have to go to war with that. I don't know. Now that you say it that way, though, I mean, I've there's many days in my life that I would trade to be my dog instead of me. That's what I'm, that's that would be right? your choice. Yeah, yeah. like that. We'll just it, let it's them not be in charge, and we'll do that. We'll let them do with us as they see fit. Yeah, <laughs> or my we dog fight is shocked when I yell at her when she tears up all the toilet paper. She is shocked by that and thinks probably <laughs> overreacting. Wish he was a little bit better at that. But Wish I was in charge sometimes. That yeah, yeah, man. Say. But if, overall, if he, if he only understood why I did that to the toilet paper, then maybe we could have a conversation. Apparently, his attitude's really bad, and he's yeah. just not, uh, yelling at me about it. But that's what I'm saying. Like, but he overall, from from my superior brain, I guess compared to my dog, I hope I have a superior brain, uh, a little bit more intelligent. Uh, I think. She has a really good life, like almost unbelievably good. But she eats the same food every day, and I mean, it's, her food's always going to be there. She, we take her for walks. We get, make sure she goes to the bathroom. She gets sick. We'll take her to the bed, all that stuff. But I mean, she doesn't. Her life, her life is zero impacted by the pandemic. By the way, it's almost exactly. In fact, it is exactly the same. There isn't anything. So part of me thinks she has it really great. No matter, even if there's a pandemic on Earth, my dog, same old, same old. Mm-hmm. Hey, they, hey, good morning. That's all she yep. does. You know? Good morning. Well, uh, you got a treat for me? I'll go and go and get in my crate for the night. Okay. <laughs> Another and, way to look at Earth Day would be, uh, why would you have loyalty to the Earth? And I'm just saying this in another techno kind of right? way. I, we can get out of here. We can. I mean, if it's true that we could go to other planets and colonize outer space, then the Earth is, yeah, yeah well and good. But it's not like it's not the most important thing in the universe. Right. Like we could take humans to, and leave Earth alone, maybe we but way we could get divorced from the Earth is what I'm suggesting. Like you go your yeah. way, we'll go our way, no no problem. <laughs> right, we could maybe get there. So I mean, there's lots of solutions uh, other than <laughs> the Earth uh, has to take us out or we have to hate our own selves. Right, I think there's more solutions. I'm, I think of humans as an underdog, in in a way. I know we're dominant on the Earth, but you know, this has been an underdog story to get here. We've made it. Like humans got here, and now we're it's we're probably gonna end ourselves with our own fault. I mean, we're st- most likely our worst enemy and gonna wipe our own selves out. But there's an underdog story here. Right. Maybe we can make amends with the earth and get out of here. Create. Some, I mean, we got to stick with it. It's our team. Yeah, we're bad. It's funny. Let's I was fix, listen- let's get it on my uh, walk jog today. I was listening to Science Salon with Michael Shermer. Uh, he's a skeptic and. Uh, he had on the late. I don't even remember the lady's name. I might could look it up. What is her name? Yeah, Ann Druyan. She worked with Carl Sagan on Cosmos, and I think she might have been. Maybe they were married or together or something. Too. Oh yeah, I'm his not, wife. Yeah, that, I think maybe I've that's his. Before, yeah. It might have been her wife. His wife. I I skipped ahead for a second and didn't catch exactly. I think they were together. Anyway, um, 
she was, she made a really she made an interesting point. She said, uh, even though her joy would be to see a colonized another planet colonized and us to, you know us to become multi-planetary species. Uh, she said that the way we've treated this planet, it doesn't really seem like we should move on to the next one until we understand what we're going to do. <laughs> Don't you got to fix the marriage you're in? Before, right. It's going to yeah, happen again. Yeah. <laughs> or it's going to be the same old you going yeah, to that next you, marriage, yeah, right? Yeah. That's right. And I was like, huh, that, that is an interesting point. Like, and they made some really good points too. Like, if you go to another planet, which government do you use? What mm-hmm. what does that look like? Is it American? Go- no, that doesn't make sense. It can't be American. Like, what do you do in these other planets and going to different places? But uh, I, I really was thinking like and they said this point which i didn't know you probably knew this matt i didn't realize they said that now they're getting more and more information that she said something like every seven seconds a new galaxy is born or something i was like what and that many stars if not most stars actually have planets around them yeah and and and, and there's and and so the idea that we're the only people in the whole universe isn't we can't prove it, but most likely there's other people, right? And and when you look at the bell curve, we might be in the middle. There's probably people that are way less developed than us, and then far superior than us. And well, I don't not... know about the word people. Well, yeah, okay, you're yeah, using right. That word yeah. people uh, in a funny aliens. Sense then there. we'll use aliens, uh, other well, life forms. You, do you mean intelligent life? Yeah, yeah. Well, I I don't know the statistics exactly on that, but I have been thinking. I have been aware of this uh, in a. Funny enough, since I was pretty young, I've been interested in space exploration and these types of things. And I'm telling you, when I was very young, eight, nine years old, I was here in science at the time, and they were talking about how the Earth at that time, which wasn't that long ago, they were saying, and I understood this as a, a young person to be the state of the universe in the 80s, that it is unbelievably crazy that the Earth is in what they call the Goldilocks zone, where right. it has liquid water and this temperature and the stuff that would be required for biological carbon-based life as we know it, that kind of thing. And they said this, you know, back then they thought it was almost no chance that there could be many planets like that, and they, they didn't know of any and, and stuff like that. It was very, right, it was right. seen that way. And and then in the last two decades, I think it's since the Hubble telescope really is what opened right. up a ton of stuff, and then beyond technologies. But now they just think it's just a Astonishing how many Earth-like planets there must be. Just right. un, just unfathomable. And, and that's the what the Fermi paradox, right? Like why yeah, if, they, if there's aliens, why why haven't we seen them? But the truth yeah. would be, uh, first of all, she made a really good point. Like if if there's aliens that could get here, their big goal wouldn't be to eat us, or so, you know what I mean. Like they they have to be. They figured out how to get here. They they have food. And, you know, and, and maybe they would want our resources, but even then it would be so overwhelming their intellect and technology that it would be not what, it's, it's not a horror science fiction film. No, but, but the idea being, it seems that we'd be able to detect the existence of some other life with all the stuff that we're able to, to go and look. But we've only it been recording like be radio to, waves right. for just uh, not even a century, I don't think. So what, uh, and who knows if they were before then and they stopped or, or maybe, mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know. Picking those up, I just don't know. But I mean, it makes but it makes a lot of people really nervous, especially people that tend toward the doom and gloom side. Like I said, it, it, right. the Fermi paradox is very, very strong for a lot of people in in that it says any species that gets intelligent enough to have powerful technologies almost assuredly right, wipes itself out. That's one right. of the biggest right. things about the that That's, it could. I mean, mean. it seems very like, evident even now. Yeah. Like, I mean, we're getting more and more. Yeah, yeah. Right. I mean, yeah. we're getting. I mean. This coronavirus is just 
one thing. I mean, the, That's next, nothing, one, the yeah. next one will be worse, and who knows what it is. I'm, I'm not. It might not even be a pandemic. It might. It might really be just something that somebody makes. Well, and our, we're all yeah, gone. our technology to build things like pandemics and nuclear and whatever God. we do next. Well, I mean, and then, you know. get back to fun stuff. Good lord, farting, shooting. I love. <laughs> I want to have sex. So uh, party, party, party. Drink, get drunk. Uh, yeah, 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 man. Okay. Let's move on. Can we bring on our guests here in a second? Yeah, we can. Let me tell you about something really important before we do, though. I'm going to tell you about Brooke Lennon. Oh, Talk about sleeping good. I think sleeping good is one of the most important things you could be doing for, you know, the old immune system, they say. You spend a third of your life in your sheets, and uh, don't you want them to be insanely comfortable? So I'd put comfort first if I were you, like with new bedding, loungewear, towels, and more. Brooke Lennon products help you find comfort in the little things morning routines extra soft sheets plush towels that kind of thing so if you're working from home staying comfortable is the best way to stay productive and brooklinen is there for me in every part of my daily routine a good night's sleep is priceless and increasingly harder to come by so brooklinen helped me build a bedroom oasis that's the perfect place to escape so uh if you like softness comfort uh, essentials to help you relax. Brooklinen has it all. Brooklinen.com is the perfect place to find all the comforts for home, and they're so confident in their product and in their sheets, comforters, loungewear, and towels that they've come up with the that they that they come with a lifetime warranty. And their birthday sale kicks off on April 25th. And if you don't want to miss it, get their biggest savings of the year on sheets, bedding, towels, loungewear, and their newest Hammond and Linen collections. And if you don't, and if you can't wait, you can get ten percent off your first order and free shipping on all the new sheet right now when you use the promo code Bad Christian only at brooklinen.com. That's B R O O K L I N E N dot com. All right, Toby, our guest today is. Matt Singcomb from The Hard Times. I'm very excited about this. I'm a fan of The Hard Times. And, uh, I mean, not only do I love music, but I love comedy. And they do both of them together. So let's get them on here. Yeah, Matt, thank you for joining us today. It's uh, fun being uh, being the way it is. You're joining us from your car. Where's your normal workspace? I am. Yeah, uh, so I have a home office, and I normally work from home, but coronavirus is such that I have three people in my house right now, 24-7, and so it makes for uh, podcasting to be kind of difficult I had to tell my, you know, mm-hmm. all all we're allowed to legally do is, like, stream Netflix, right? And I'm over there telling my roommate, uh, please, can you not stream Netflix right now? Mm-hmm. So uh, I've decided <laughs> right. to evacuate to my car and to get some sort of quiet space going. Are, are you in New York? I'm not. Wait. I'm lucky. I live in Pacifica. Uh, it's about 15 minutes south of San Francisco. Okay. Uh, okay. And so Bay Area. So I've been on yeah. lockdown for quite a bit. Yeah. Um, I jokingly turned to my girlfriend the other day and said, well, we made it five days. But, it's, you know, it's actually been 15 or something. Right. Uh, yeah, we, we went from something like buckling down from a hurricane and, you know, kind of a sprint to marathon is kind of how the thing's going to go. So, yep. you know. I, I'm very lucky. I live in a place where my backyard is a mountain, and I have access to some hiking trails uh, via a state park that's just minutes walking distance from my house. So I was doing that a lot, and then the other day I went over there, and they've locked it off, put up some fences, and oh, said no more hiking. So Was um, it even crowded, or just they just shut it down? It's, it started off as crowded, and then they had a really great idea, and they made it so you could only walk one way on these paths. Uh, you had to start on one side and walk to the other side so you didn't have to cross anyone. I thought that yeah. was really great. 
I guess it didn't work out. I don't know because I just went over there. It's just like you know biohazard warnings. So yeah, I don't know. <laughs> oh, man. I live in Charlotte, and I don't know if it's this way. Matt's in Seattle. Uh, you're a little south of San Francisco in California, but I cannot believe joggers, how close they get to you. I, I, mm-hmm. I get so mad. <laughs> and so uh, yesterday, though, it was two older people who were in late 60s, it, it, easily, probably maybe in their mm-hmm. 70s, just walking straight towards me. And I was mm-hmm. like, I don't think I have it, but I don't know, and I could kill you. And mm-hmm. you might could kill me. And so I just I did the most rude thing. I just stared them down. I just stared down two old people, an old man and an old woman, like a lovely couple. I stared them down real mad. It's like, and just I just intimidate like, them? Yeah, just like, seriously? And I crossed the street and didn't even let them get near me. And then today, a mom with a baby walked straight towards me. I did the same thing. I stared her and her baby down. I was like, I'm not doing I just, can't we just, even if it feels ridiculous to to avoid each other, can't we just do it for right now? I mean, I don't it like where you live. Are people really taking it seriously? I had to talk my little brother who lives in my house. I had to talk him out of going to a birthday party. (laughs) (laughs) And I had to sit him down and just as gently as possible, just tell him that he might die in a floating hospital and no one can come visit him. Right. Please, for the love of God, do not (laughs) go to this birthday party. I swear your friend will have another birthday party. Maybe not. Maybe your friend's going to die, you know, but right. <laughs> geez, please. I know. I, that, who throws a birthday party nowadays? Uh, uh, I know. Give it a rest. I, I mean, that, everyone, that, can everyone just give it a rest? Just go, just stay at home. It's, yeah. it's not that hard. I know. I, I, and, and in fact, the thing I keep thinking about too is, I mean, if this seriously, even, I mean, probably early 1900s, but especially like 1800s or 1700s, people would think we are just absurd for whining of staying in our palaces. With, with electricity and television and entertainment and food, uh, you know, all that stuff. Could you imagine if this generation had a draft, how we would handle <laughs> that? Oh, if God. all they're asking us is, please, stay inside your homes. <laughs> yeah, right. Order food in, you know. Um, we're going to send you a check. And just <laughs> don't leave. I understand there's a lot of pain going on. It's a lot of hardship. I know people, right. you know, my dad lost his job. He found a new one already, but... There's a lot of stuff going on that, you know, but man, it's not that much of a sacrifice, you know? I know. It could be a yes. lot worse. And, and, and you I can, think it is going to yeah. get worse. So I'm, I'm a little worried about the people who are like, oh, I really can't do this. I can't, you know, watch Netflix. Yeah, I think it's a matter of developing the discipline. So I'm I'm going extra strict for my own sanity later is the way I think mm-hmm. of it. I can always loosen up later. Can I develop discipline now is really the question. Mm-hmm. That's the way I think of it. No one... Okay, here's here's my here's my caveat. If you've already watched Lion King uh, or Tiger King on yeah. Netflix, then you have an excuse to feel stir crazy. But if you haven't watched Tiger King, you have so much good yeah, you viewing material either. ready to go. <laughs> Just put that baby on. You're locked in your house three days, no matter what. Uh, yeah. So thehardtimes.net is that something where you, you say you always work from home normally? What is the staff like and the size of that organization? Yeah, so Hard Times, we started it in 2015. Um, me and my co-founder, Bill, um, I had a full-time job at that point. I was a music editor at SF Weekly. And, uh, you know, we were cranking on it. We were burning the candle at both ends for a couple, couple of years. Now uh, we're both full-time, as well as uh, Jeremy Kapowitz, who is our editor-in-chief of Hard Drive, our video game vertical. And so we have a full-time staff of three. And then underneath that, there's a lot of part-time people who, you know, 
have monthly stipends and who uh, help us out with various ways. And then underneath that, there's a ton of freelance writers and photographers. It's actually a pretty big group of people who work on this thing together. If I had to estimate actual numbers of people who are con- contrib- contributing something to it on a monthly basis, I would estimate it probably be like 300 people, I would say, mm-hmm. work on this project together. Um, but there's different layers. Uh, so, so there's that get, that's two things that, that you do then that I credit as very forward thinking and very well adapted for the future. One would be distributed uh, asynchronous work. You know, mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. the idea that you're dealing with hundreds of people without an office and a manager walking by everybody's desk and, and you know, some of it's gig economy, some of it's full time. So you're doing a mixture of there where people work on their own schedules and you don't, you know, it's an integrated space. So I think probably managing that in itself is something that I'm interested in and how that works. And also you seem to be way ahead of the curve on ha- having a niche and staying focused and yeah. doing one narrow thing. So. Yeah. Those yeah, are so both- I'm a, I'm a big believer in that decentralized, uh, work from home sort of, uh, project. I think that there's a lot that you, if you have the right personality types involved, there's a lot that you can get done in those situations. Ultimately, I think it is a matter of putting systems in place and then tweaking those systems. And as a guy who's had so many grunt labor type of jobs, I've experienced bad systems systems where my job was to pick something up and walk it down the hall and i could just tell my job could be you know the productivity of my job could go two three x if someone would just get me a fucking wheelbarrow right Mm -hmm, right and so i feel very privileged to now be uh the fancy bossman who can say uh let's actually make these things more productive and let's tweak these systems i'm sure there's probably people now who work grunt labor stuff for one of my organizations who feel like I'm doing it like a fucking moron, you know what I mean? Like, uh, <laughs> right. But I, I get, I get, I nerd out about uh, optimizing systems. Uh, I think hard times actually one of the secrets to why we've been able to grow and stick around. One of those things is that niche that you talked about, uh, dominating a niche and then growing out from there, using it as a home base to launch attacks on different topics is a very uh, doable thing. I think a lot of people shoot too big too quick. They can't cover everything they try to cover. They fall apart. If you just dominate a niche first, then you have the credibility there. You have your uh, your base of support, and then you can make adventures out from that base. Uh, but another thing that we do is the way our organization runs is actually a little different than most magazines ever, I think. Um, when I was the music editor at SF Weekly, I felt like it was a little silly that I was the guy that you pitched to my inbox some idea about what music was worthwhile to cover in San Francisco. Obviously, I've been yeah. playing in bands my whole life. I go to shows all the time, but I didn't feel like I should be the end-all, be-all of what was deemed important or not without any sort of transparency or criticism of my decision-making abilities. So when we started Hard Times, we actually developed a new system where instead of pitching an editor your idea directly, you pitched all of the contributors involved with the product, uh, the project, those people were able to put their upvote or downvote into mm-hmm. it. And then the ones that pass a certain threshold are brought to the editors who ultimately make some editorial decisions. But it allows everyone to be involved, and it also uh, shows editors blind spots that they uh, might have but don't understand. So the way hard times work, someone could pitch a joke that I don't understand, uh, 
but our system alerts me that I don't understand it and other people do and that it would actually yes. work out really well. <clears throat> then I can research deeper, make some editorial decisions and actually get the piece out. Um, there's quite a few articles that run on our website that if they were pitched just in an inbox just to me, I wouldn't have got them. I would have just you know skimmed right by them. They turn out to be huge hits. So. Yeah, that that's exactly the territory that I think is super fascinating, and especially as times continue to change. And I think this crisis is, just really speeds up that timeline and highlights stuff like that. So it, basically, the the idea that we can use these digital systems to get stuff like feedback, th that and it, it kind of circumvents uh, one person's gut intuition and ego like same as a mm -hmm. head coach of a football team is the mm -hmm. strong guy with the experience and the gut and it's just his call well that became data at some point that mm -hmm. beat that beats the guy's gut you know and then same with meetings everybody knows meetings are the dumbest thing in the world mm -hmm. and in meetings it's really just the person with the ego getting the process out loud and people supporting that and not challenging it for instance mm -hmm. and then certain people don't get their they're not going to speak in meetings and things like that so the you stripping that out and having an upvote it 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 fixes it, you know it under it, so, it does all that stuff so i am the head coach but mm -hmm. I can't even get articles that I want on the website. I can't just force them through. I have to go through the system just like a freelancer who just joined last week. And I think that that allows us to put out less junk that is just based on someone's gut feeling. Mm -hmm. right. uh, and it also creates a more equal playing field, a more democratic playing field uh, that I think gives us a unique vibe to our sort of project. It feels very much like a community project. Um, and that was one of the main things I wanted to fix. I've been freelance writing for a lot of different places, and I just really didn't like how being a freelance writer, it felt like I didn't know anything about what the magazine I was writing for was up to. I didn't know what our values were. I didn't know what we were interested in writing about. I didn't, I was just completely left in the dark, you know, and I didn't feel like that was very efficient. So yeah. at hard times, freelance writers, I re think really have a pretty good insight into where we're headed what we're looking for, what works, what doesn't work. Um, so there's a lot of increased transparency and communication and collaborative nature, which I think is really great. There are some drawbacks, because if you invite 300 comedy writers to try to work on a project together, you're going to get some personalities that clash, <laughs> right? Every once in a while, you just think back to that day of, oh, God, I just wish that this person was pitching into a fucking dark email inbox and couldn't contact me in any other way, right? Right. Uh, all right, let's take a quick ad break and talk about Quip Toothbrushes, one of my all-time, it just is, it's my all-time favorite toothbrush. I love this company. I love that my toothbrush comes straight to my door and I don't have to look through the toothbrush aisle or even the toothpaste aisle anymore. I don't have to worry about that because Quip does it all for me. I'm so happy. And uh, if you're like me and... You're kind of at home and you've been just, you know, maybe not eating the way you should or thinking about your personal care or oral care as much as you should be. Why is that? Those are some things that you really need to be taken care of, in the, even in this during this crazy time especially. And what's special about getting uh, a Quip toothbrush or, or their oral care delivered is that it's easy. They know exactly when you need to get your next toothbrush added uh, and you are ready to go really user-friendly company. I love it so much. Good health starts with good habits and Quip makes it easy by delivering all the oral, all the oral care essentials you need to brush and floss better. The Quip 
uh, electric toothbrush has timed sonic vibrations with 30-second pulses to guide a dentist-recommended two-minute routine, and there's even a sized-down version designed for kids. I'm telling you, they do it all. I love it. It's my favorite toothbrush ever. The Quip brush head, toothpaste, and floss refills are automatically delivered on a dentist-recommended schedule every three months for just $5 each. A friendly reminder when it's time to refresh and to stay committed to your oral health, and shipping is free. Join over 3 million happy customers right now. So, if you are ready, and I think you should be, I don't know what you're waiting on, go to quip.com slash badchristian uh, right now, and you'll get your first refill free. That's your first refill free at getquip.com slash badchristian. That's getquip.com slash badchristian. Quip, the good habits company. What is the method that people communicate, though? Is it email stuff, or what? what is the, the central method where all those people can... We have a couple different things. Uh, the freelancers all have a, a pitch group that uh, was born on Facebook, um, where they it's a private group where they pitch headlines and they like or ignore the post. And um, we also send out communications there about how our website's doing and what we're working on next and what freelancers can how they can get more involved. All of our editors started off as freelancers. Um, even Jeremy Kapowitz, our, he's a full-time guy who runs our video game vertical. He started off as just a freelancer. Uh, we don't really hire uh, outside uh, people for uh, full-time positions. We like to give people the opportunity to start as a comedy writer and then almost turn them into like a mini founder themselves and let them create value within the company. So Jeremy helped found this vertical uh, called Hard Drive for video games, and then he was able to prove it out. And he was able mm-hmm. to grow it and grow it and grow it into a real, you know, an economic opportunity as well. And then we're able to give that economic opportunity to him in the form of a full-time job. So we're trying to make our company run a little bit differently. Um, and it has its pros and its cons, uh, you know, Nowadays, with the coronavirus uh, impacting so many things, we're actually, I think we're in for some choppy waters. So um, I'm going to be working on that for a little bit. But I I didn't quite think that it would be so bad for us, but a lot of advertisers and in general, just companies are cutting their marketing budgets, which Mm -hmm. has a cascading sort of effect on the overall ad rates that are out there. So 1,000 people coming and visiting our website used to be worth a certain amount, and now it's worth a decent chunk less. And I don't know how long that's going to last, but we're constantly having to look at changing our revenue streams and how we operate our business because, uh, I mean, that was already, ad revenues were already a shaky ground. Um, mm-hmm. You guys, I'm sure, know about this based on your podcast. Exact same ads. thing. Yeah, we, we've I've already had, you know discussed that with with our advertising people and stuff, right. and they said it's going to be harder and the, the rates will go down and stuff like that. But I think of it, you know, I think of what you're saying here as, and you didn't use this term, but the idea of a meritocracy. You're you're, and it's evolving. Those are the two things I think of. Instead of the mm-hmm. old system where it's like, I have an idea and it's concrete and it has to be executed and my idea is right. It's like you have a direction and you build a team and mm-hmm. you go explore and then it will change as it needs to change and it will mm-hmm. change. And then all the static organizations that aren't flexible won't mm-hmm. be able to. So of course there's going to be less a- advertising money. Of course bands are going to break up and people magazines will fold right. and some won't. The ones mm-hmm. that that have the right, you know, 
DNA figuratively there will survive and they'll know new things and come out stronger and things will yeah, change and who knows. So it's evolve or die, right? You have mm -hmm. to always keep evolving. Um, right. <laughs> I think a lot of people, when they think of entrepreneurship, they think of this character who's like the owner and the owner doesn't have to really worry about anything, right? Because they just have this profitable business that just kind of keeps humming along. I have never found that in life. I feel like uh, the owner has this ultimate responsibility to safeguard all of the employees by charting new paths when all these new waters pop up. And it seems like new waters are always popping up. Uh, mm -hmm. So, you know, small being a small business person is incredibly difficult. I think that I, you know, I have it much better off than a guy who owns a restaurant right now. And um, I'm thankful for that. But No doubt about uh, that. I certainly think that more hard times is going to change. A lot of things are going to change. I, I have a lot of ideas. We're going to be working on some stuff, but it's, you know, I actually run two companies, which probably isn't, it's kind of okay during normal times, but during times of crisis, it's a little stressful. <laughs> um, so yeah, hopefully, hopefully it turns out okay. This is an interesting time because uh, all live events are dead. And mm -hmm. so, you know, sports writers or mm -hmm. entertainment writers or anything, even though, you know, you're dealing more in, in, in the satirical or parody side of it, it's still mm -hmm. every, like, I, for example, if you're a sports writer right now and there's nothing to write about, you're pretty easily cut. You're not that important yeah. and your job might yeah. could be gone. And I, I, I do wonder what that's even going to look like for, you know, I, I know this is a, a different take for you guys, but I do wonder what that is even going to look like when six months from now, a year from now, are people still excited and quickly spending lots of money on a ticket to go see their favorite artist or, you know, right. going to see the, the NBA or anything like that. I don't, I don't know what that is going to look like is, but is that an opportunity to, People are going to turn to different media, different information, different entertainment, and that's maybe this is the place where you go. Like lots of of uh, podcasts ratings you know, or, or viewerships have gone way up. People are there's, staying at home, all that stuff. There's no doubt that there's whenever there's a mass change in human behavior forced like this, it's almost hard to see where the chips are going to fall. Certainly, the, a lot of the sports writers are going to suffer. You know, whatever this, you know, the people who rent apartments to the sports writers are going to suffer. And then there's other things that are uh, Animal Crossing, which is just going to go through the fucking roof, right? <laughs> yeah, which right. is like Nintendo can't keep <laughs> Animal Crossing and Switch in stock because human behavior has been geared towards it. I mean, the New York Times even ran an article, Animal Crossing is the perfect way to spend the quarantine. I mean, imagine that for your product of just, you know, all of society kind of saying this is how you should spend your time now is that's kind of like once in a lifetime. I'm, I'm when those Animal Crossing numbers come out, I'm sure it's just going to be astronomical about how yeah. many copies of this game they sold. I want to play it. I can't find one. Right. Wow. So. Um, but, yeah, you know, I thought a little piece of me thought, oh, everyone's going to be inside. They're going to be on the Internet. We'll probably see a spike in traffic. That was not the case for us. We saw a downturn, and I, I think maybe it was because people were checking our stuff while they're at work, like idling. Oh yeah, interesting. And now, and now it's like so we're, we were like a distraction. I think maybe for some people, <laughs> and yeah. then now their whole life is distractions. They don't need more distractions. Um, so I need 
someone to cure this coronavirus real quick. Not even just for <laughs> humanity's sake. I need traffic to my website now. But it's even that's even more exaggerated when you talk about human behavior shifting like that, given that human behavior now is so shaped by like the big tech platforms. Like you're so yep. interdependent with them. I, I would love to know, and, and this is a bigger, broader question and less coronavirus related, mm -hmm. but what has your total inf – I mean, if you just tell the story about your interface with social media and what it does mm -hmm. and what it does poorly and what it censors or how it labels you, I'm fascinated by all yeah, that yeah. all that territory. All right. So I start my website 20, late 2015. Um, we immediately become a very well-read website, million people a month. Uh, we are writing one joke a day, and if that joke is a good joke, our Facebook page, which has 30,000 likes – will reach 1 million, 2 million people. So people are sharing it, and then all the people on their feeds are seeing these posts. Right out the box, we have created a business. Who would have thought? I didn't know right. we were going to. I thought we were just going to launch something that maybe some of my friends would enjoy. Now we've got millions of eyeballs, and there's a business opportunity. It takes me a couple years to learn about how to monetize those eyeballs, how to get it done right, to form the partnerships, negotiate the deals. We kind of get it figured out, right? But right away, you think Facebook's amazing. Like, yeah. wow. It just gives well, me. I think I'm, I'm honestly, I think I'm kind of naive at that point. I just think that this is the way the world works. Okay. And um, start hiring some people, start expanding. Hey, two posts a day now. Now there's two million people, right? It's just, it seems like it's easy. And, and you're uh, just a creative, like a writer, right? You're, you're mm -hmm. not a business, you've never been a business owner. And, and, Up until and so all this, this point. is just hitting you in real time. I had played in bands, so we had run like a small record label where we put out our friend's record. You know, we had like done yeah. the financials of how to get across the country for a tour. But yes, I'm not a business person and I don't know the ad world. So it takes me a little bit of time to get going. Uh, I'm just a guy writing jokes who are just, it's just doing really well with my friends and the jokes are very well read. Then all of a sudden we start building this business. It's going pretty well. Uh, our numbers are through the roof. Then Facebook introduces. Facebook starts getting really heavily criticized for fake news. Uh, of course, I don't consider myself fake news. Um, I consider myself satire. We're never actually trying to trick people. Um, unfortunately, statistically, some people always get tricked just because right. uh, they have their own problems. <laughs> That's their right. Yeah. Um, but our, our I'll website, say it for you, not, they ain't too smart. <laughs> our, our website isn't isn't really trying to trick anyone. We're trying to make right. people laugh. Trying to make people think about big questions, right? Um, so Facebook decides. I think, in order to quiet that criticism in one part uh, about fake news, about Russian intervention, all these sort of things that they were just getting dogged in the media every single fucking day, they decide that they're going to make a shift, and they call this shift friends and family is what they're going to be focused on. And when they made that shift, pages on Facebook had their reach really drastically reduced, and not sort of in the way where Someone, you know, says, hey, 10,000 people used to see my thing. Now 8,000 people see my thing. I'm pissed. I'm going to, like, complain, hoping they're going to turn it back up. Yeah, mm -hmm. We're talking a 70% dip in traffic overnight. Oh, you know, they just turn the spigot off. Uh, now, whether or not our page was selected amongst a group of other pages, I'm not 100% sure. But I know that all pages suffered very intensely. And a lot of businesses stopped. A lot of publishers who were based on Facebook like we were decided to call it quits. Um, so that sort of, uh, yeah. the term fake news really hurt our business. And it was the first time actually we started losing money every month. I started hard times with my co-founder, Bill, 
uh, 800 bucks is what I had. And that's what I put into our business. And I've, you know, never taken investment, never taken some loan. Uh, it's just been a, you know, bootstrap and you just keep building it and building it. All of a sudden, I don't have that much business experience and my company's burning five grand a month, 10 grand a month or whatever oh, due wow. to this drastic change. So we scrambled and uh, I loaned the company some money from my other job and Eventually, we tried almost every strategy in the book, and we got back to combined with all of them, just you know, going from one post a day to 12 posts a day and all the email newsletter, all just anything you could think of. We eventually got back to where we were, but the price that we had to pay to get back to where we were just depleted our margins, really pushed us to an extreme to the point where most of our articles are no longer profitable on their own. Now we have these hits, these big hit articles that go super viral, which can like almost break through that Facebook choke, which pay for all the other articles and kind of keeps the lights on. Um, but yeah, you know, I'm a very much uh, a slave to these algorithms, which are hidden away and not explained um, and which are changing constantly uh, around people's news feeds. And um it's There's no way to get any clarity or ask or, or comply or do anything with them. So, <laughs> not really. I applied for a job at Facebook and I got it. And one of my ideas <laughs> was I wanted, to, awesome. I wanted to figure out what the hell was going on. Right. Facebook is a radically transparent company. So even if you get these low-level jobs, I was a contractor, you could still see into whatever else they were doing in other departments. And I actually had a made friends with an engineer guy who looked into it for me to make sure that I wasn't on some list of, uh, you know, sites to particularly choke. And um, for a small period of time, they gave me like four hundred dollars a month to boost my posts, you know, like in but just because I work there, um, they give all their employees that. I think you can just like boost whatever you want if you're an employee of Facebook. It's kind of interesting. Oh, that's a great uh, and I for you. Yeah. And I tried to figure out. Um, maybe it was two hundred fifty dollars. I think it was two hundred fifty dollars a month. I yeah. tried to figure out a little bit more about how they're working, but that that transparency ends around that that newsfeed algorithm. There's kind of a black box, and they don't let people in. Even you know, if you're a low level contractor at Facebook, you can look and see what they're working on on these, you know, all these different projects, and uh, they have all these different Facebook groups, and you can just walk into them and just say, "Oh, what are you guys working on with your?" you know, Oculus Riff, and they say, no, this is coming out, and this is coming out, and you know, you're all sworn to secrecy. But you, as an employee, could still kind of go around and check out. The algorithm, no. They don't tell people. And way back in the day, I think, I've read about this and seen screenshots, you used to actually be able to change your own Facebook news feed. You used to be able, there was these little dials, and you could say how much news you wanted, how much friends and family you wanted, how many yeah. text posts you wanted. Nowadays, all those decisions are made for you elsewhere and you don't even actually even get to know what the decisions were the result of this we had a hit article come out and it was just rocketing through social media it was just one of those things whatever right time right place this thing is a hit right and i looked at our stats on facebook and for i think like 40,000 50,000 people shared this thing right which is the ultimate expression on facebook of like you love this piece of content, you want to share it with everyone. For every person who shared it, Facebook showed it 
to only four additional people, which would equate those people to only having four friends on Facebook, Mm -hmm. which is just not the case. You could actually go through and you could add up the engagements on this particular post of people saying that they love it, that they like it, that they're laughing about it. I think that there was like 500,000 positive reactions and uh, 27 negative reactions. And still, they don't show it to anyone. And what do I get instead? They, I get a little button that says, do you want to show this post to more people? Uh, pay us, <laughs> right? And right. if you click that button and you see how much they charge, it's astronomical. It's like- yeah. It is, it is. It's like you want to show it to, to you know, 10,000 people? Uh, how about 1,000 bucks? It's like, whoa, there's no business that, you know, unless you're selling a high-priced product, if you're selling- right. A $300 wallet that only costs eight bucks to make, sure, maybe you can get away with that. But as a comedy project, that's just no, there's not pay. Same so, with podcasts. We thought about it a lot, but it, the a conversion, if somebody clicks on something we boost, is they download our shit for free. Right. That's what we get out of it, you know. Right. You know, it's, so it's just really no way you can pay for that at the rate you could a, a, a real physical product with a markup that it's maybe designed for. But I think what's really rotten about the way you described that is on both ends. So it's it seem and that's, of course it's their platform and it's a private business and they can do what they want and all those things. But it seems really dishonest on the level of if I'm sharing something and I know I have fifteen hundred people connected to me on Facebook, never in a million years do I find something I think is great that I want to share with everybody I know, and I click share, and only four people get to see that, right. that pisses me off as the sharer. Like, right. I assume that people right. see what I, if I'm going to share something, that's for a reason. And then even if I decide to share it with my own friends, they say, no, you don't. And they right. don't even let you know. So you think, well, I guess that was a dud. Maybe it was just me. It's interesting, right? Because they say they want it to be a place where you connect with your friends and family. Well, my friends want to share upworthy posts right maybe i don't like them but it's like that's what my friends are doing and so they're making this decision that it kind of takes your power away where it's like it always makes you feel like you're a loser or a loner Mm -hmm. or something it's like people aren't engaging with your stuff and i don't know if they've connected the dots yet i'm sure they have these are very forward-thinking people but people are fleeing another part of this problem is people are fleeing this platform to anywhere else to Instagram, to TikTok, to wherever, to yeah. the point where I actually read an article that Facebook in their uh, filings as a public company is now trying to hide the amount of money they make on Facebook versus on Instagram because what's happening is everyone is leaving Facebook and going to Instagram. So Instagram is getting more heavily ad populated and cre- becoming a bigger revenue uh, generator for them. And they're trying to obscure that because they don't want to show people that Facebook is like, it's kind of a dying platform in yeah. many respects. Um, the young people, the creatives are kind of fleeing it. Uh, and it, it's just a, you know, it's a weird thing because, of course, I was just naive. And I just thought this is the way the world works. If you create cool content, these mega tech companies are going to share it to people. And if only I knew what I was in for, you know, mm-hmm. uh, I would have got in when the getting was good. Yeah, I'm lucky enough that I had like this perfect timing. Sometimes people, not by any uh, actual estimation of my own, just by sheer luck, people come to me sometimes and say, Matt, I'm going to start this business. What should I do? You're like this successful business founder guy. And it's like, guys, you're talking to someone (laughs) who just literally fell into a lucky situation 
and then was able to survive afterwards. That's that's what happened. You could have, if I tried to start hard times today with the same team, same headlines, same skill level, I don't think we would make it. Yeah, so totally. Same as being in a band. Like, we, yes, we play in a band and have you? for all this time, and people say, well, how do you, you, you know, you've been in a band for your living for 20 years and a podcaster. I want to do those things. How do you do it? And I say, oh, you can't. Yeah. All right. I mean, I couldn't yeah. either if I started from scratch today. It, it, with there's the same paths, stuff, right? just wouldn't. Yeah, there's different paths. Yeah, there's new. And so it's like, know. and I'm not gonna be able to the guy. I'm not gonna be the guy who's gonna be able to give you that new path advice. It's like yeah. you need someone who's fucking crushing it on TikTok right now. That's the that's the people who know what's up. Those are gonna be the people who you know survive the next wave. You have to catch one of these waves of momentum, and then survive afterwards once the mm-hmm. tech powers that be take it away from you. I actually right. think it's funny when people talk about growing their channels and stuff. How many of the biggest people out there were actually just some of the first? It's like a lot of the biggest YouTubers, mm-hmm. the biggest Instagrammers, they were just like the first guy to share an insta- uh, share a meme on Instagram. It's not that they were the best. They just were there, the right place, right time. Yeah, it's yep. a first mover advantage because then you get the benefit of being found, and then you get the refinement and evolution and feedback faster. So you've mm-hmm. developed skill on top of that if you can be an early mover in, in even some place remember when like i remember like, when i think when i first signed up for twitter it said like what are you interested in and i was like comedy and it's like check out michael ian black he was like right. a guy on twitter that they wanted to promote because it's like michael ian black had a twitter and i <laughs> being one of those early people you know people wonder how, how did how did these guys get up to two million followers it's like because the entire company was pushing them as this is this interesting creator we have um so it's it's kind of sad when people come to me and they say, I'm launching this satire project. What should we do? What should we do? I give them the best advice I can, but I try to just let them know, like, if you're going the same route I'm going, they're, Too late. You can't, you're not going to get off the ground, you know? You have to, almost this meeting, you have to be coming to me with this radical idea of how you're going to break the stuff that I can't break down anymore, right? Mm-hmm. I'm like the guy who doesn't know. You have to be the person, you know, so if you're coming to me, you're already off to a bad start because you have to be the one with the with the new idea that works. That's all I was on accident five years ago, right? <laughs> well, let's talk about satire and its use and value specifically because, I mean, I think that's a fascinating, very hard-to-communicate thing that seems often misunderstood, just the whole art of satire. Yeah, I mean, uh, one of the best things about satire, in my opinion, is that you can take these ideas that are um, very well accepted you can flip them upside down and shake them around and see if they hold up, see what falls out. And I found that by thinking in a way where I'm always looking for satirical headlines, I'm able to actually self-audit some of my own beliefs, make fun of myself in a way that makes me go, hey, maybe that, maybe that ideology that kind of has been ingrained in me actually isn't that beneficial. Maybe it's a little hypocritical and it's kind of rounded me out a bit as a person which some people don't like. Some people don't like that rounding out. You try to round someone out, they get very right. upset, right? Um, but I think that's part of the fun. It's like a little bit of troublemaking. And I've always been a fan of troublemaking. And if everyone in the society believes something and you're able just to poke a little hole through it, um, there's value to that as a society. But it's also a lot of fun to be the guy who pokes the hole and just everyone f- freaks out. You know, Grew up a punk kid, so I like to make trouble. Mm-hmm. Right. It's funny, too, though, that because it, it really is like your pursuit is almost philosophical, the same way as like uh, uh, Babylon B or something like that. They realize, mm-hmm. wait, you can make fun of the Christian culture 
and a lot of people don't like it, and and a mm-hmm. lot of people think it's totally true. Like they mm-hmm. they're not even they, <laughs> they 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 don't even see satire coming at all. Like everybody's I, so 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 inundated, I guess, with what media is that it's telling you. We all, for some reason the even especially maybe even now during this time, I am constantly seeing updates about COVID. That mm-hmm. I'm just like, wait a minute, this is crafted to get a response out of me to come back. Like mm-hmm. I'm scared. I want to know tomorrow if it's better or worse or whatever, mm-hmm. right? Like that. Mm-hmm. That's what the headline is, and you're creating a a, a headline that is uh, just as well crafted, but it has to make me go, oh man, that's really funny because I'm I've been mm-hmm. in a band forever, you know, and I've done mm-hmm. all that stuff, and, and and or I was a you know, the, I'm sure your your a lot of your fans were seen kids or they grew mm-hmm. up the same way mm-hmm. as you or reading stuff, and nobody ever did that for them, and so you're offering a a, a, a something for them, but I, I did wonder like even with when you were talking about Facebook and you, you know you're having li- have, have you been able to gather like when you're writing an article. And you're thinking mm-hmm. about that headline. The headline almost is, is the headline one of the most important things for you right now. Like, I mean, is is it yeah. the is it is it the way that even helps you break some of that code of Facebook? Yeah. So you know, one of the things that I've learned in life is the only way I've really ever been able to improve. I I didn't quite have a many regular jobs in college. I more made money through online poker. And the only way that you get really good at that is after you play for four hours, you stop and you study all the hands that you made. It records all the hands that you played. And you study and you find your, they're called leaks. And what it is, is it's just like a weak point in your game. And that methodology has been transferred over to hard times where everyone in our team is very clued in to not just spitting out headlines, but seeing which topics are resonating, uh, which angles are resonating, which ones are able to break through that Facebook choke, which ones aren't. Are there certain triggers that are really going to make it dive down? I mean, just as a, a funny like little thing, like we've we there have been some jokes that we like about dead pets. Oh boy, right. even if the joke is really funny, <laughs> you're it's gonna bomb, right? Yeah, like uh, <laughs> you know. Uh, like there was, or even like, uh, we had one that was like, um, uh, dead friend buried in a suit, like some kind of sellout. I think that's so funny, but it's like, it's too, too dark. Like you have some really dark headlines. You're dying laughing. You're like, I can never show this to anybody. Right. We noticed that one. Those ones really have a hard time getting off the ground. The other ones we noticed is, um, satire as a form of relief in really dark times. I don't think creatively it's the most interesting, but those ones really seem to take off, like the sort of uplifting ones, like when a famous artist dies and we we write something kind of nice about them. I think satire is best when it's mean, but if you write something nice about something when everyone needs like a sense of hope or relief or what's an example you know, really? of one of those? Um a positive like, one in general. This yeah, you know, like uh we've had a couple where like uh there was like three popular musicians died like in the course of like a month and we wrote a headline that was like god uh finalizes super group lineup and then it was like a picture of all of them oh yeah, yeah and yeah. it's just fucking crushed just really absolutely crushed yeah oh, like wow. super huge hit um i grew it's up in less a, funny and more sweet though right? yeah more sweet yeah it's like i'm not really super stoked on the funniness of it but um i think babylon b does such a trajectory terrific job uh with their satire 
been a big fan of theirs for a while. And it's interesting because I grew up in a, uh, you know, a, a Catholic family, uh, no longer really big on that at all. But um, so much of our ideas and our jokes kind of go back to that biblical foundation uh, and the ideas of heaven and hell. They are, are so incorporated in our even jokes with this from this punk website, you know, yeah. where it's uh, this this singer ended up in hell, you know, right. it, it always, <laughs> yeah. you always find yourself going back to that. And we've tried a couple times to get off that path just a little bit. And uh, we try to do some jokes uh, around Jewish holidays and stuff. And um, they flop, you know? And it's like kind of funny when people, it's such like a, Christ, it's like such a Christian nation, you know? Right. And even if you, even if you get like a million punks on a website, they can't relate in large numbers unless you make it rooted in that Christianity. And I think sometimes the Babylon Bee, man, what a great idea. Because even as a punk kid, I can look at some of their stuff and I have that shared culture that is a niche that even if I drifted away from it, I still am a part of it in some way. I can relate. I can understand what they're talking about. Um, uh, Mixed with some of the more uh, right-wing takes they do, which I think are much needed in a place where so many comics think that they have to go a certain way. I think the Babylon Bee is uh, a, a, f- a breath of fresh air in a lot of regards. So I have, they're one of the only satire sites outside the onion that will beat us in traffic. And I am, I'm not at all surprised uh, by that. Um, but so anyways, we do these Jewish takes uh, for a while. It seems like no one's fucking noticing them, right? Just absolutely collapsing. But I still felt like, oh, we should still, you know, let's just try to keep it up because it's important, you know, just trying to make sure that everyone has their own jokes. And then right when we were about to say, like, you know what? Fuck it. Like, no one reads these jokes, right? Like, wh- what are we doing here? The blog post came out by a guy, and he had collected all of them. And he had talked about how there was never enough comedy directed towards Jewish punks. And <laughs> look at all these jokes that these guys have done over the years. I always look forward to during the holidays that these guys are going to run a joke. And I was like, whoa, uh, that was really right. cool for me. I was all like, all right, fine. It, yeah. yeah, we're sticking to this path. We're going to keep doing a variety of different things. I even noticed like a lot of our jokes are about like the nuclear family. And I always think about, well, what about people who didn't grow up in a nuclear family? What, what about you know punks? You think there'd be more broken home stories? And uh, so we try to go that route as well. It's interesting trying to connect with large audiences, but I think the Babylon Bee has just such a great uh, niche. Um, they seem to crush it on Facebook. They actually did something kind of interesting. They have a a membership tier which allows you to pitch to them. So as a business, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, yeah. But philosophically, I'm not in line with that. I uh, I have a second company that I started that our goal is to get money to freelancers faster. And I used to be a freelancer and I have a deep belief that those people need to be paid more if possible, faster if possible. And I've uh, started a a company called Outvoice that goes around trying to help publications do that. So that that one kind of goes against my philosophical beliefs. Feels like pay to play to you. A little bit, right? Mm -hmm. But as a businessman, I also, and the guy who runs satire, I think, Okay, I can see how that works out, right? right? Like a lot of people want to write for this site. I understand it. So, so no, no harm, no foul. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but sometimes I see sites doing things where it's like I could do that, 
but it doesn't line up with uh, how I think about these things. Yeah, I, I think this territory of satire is pulling me into thinking about it even deeper. I, at surface level, I always am very frustrated when people discount or dismiss humor and say, yeah, but it's just jokes. That drives mm-hmm. me insane because I think yes. that the jokes and the art and the po- of all types of humor is one of the most valuable creative endeavors humans can do, one of the most useful, one of the best ways to get real messages and deep things across. You said it earlier that you think of this as how to talk about big ideas. And then when you're just talking about the Babylon Bee, it's, it, it, obviously, you're talking about it resonates, these things in these deep universal ways that are part of culture, but they must be just part of humanity so deeply. Like, mm-hmm. uh, like you know, a homeschooler, I know homeschool people, and they still all talk about high school and Saved by the Bell. Mm-hmm. Like, they didn't even have the experience, and they, it still seems like so deep and universal, and church culture's that way, and people trying to be in music. And so it really is hitting these veins. And tell me if I am hearing this right. You said that you have to do the satire in a way that works, and there's some stuff people avoid, but are you saying if the satire doesn't actually connect to something or make you think through something or wrestle through something where it's actually accurate? It's not just about being funny or obnoxious or saying a dirty word. It has to actually fit an upside-down truth. Like, So you have to be discovering truth for it to even resonate on I don't, some level. I don't, so there's a couple different like satirical tools. I think the best forms of satire are the ones that make you laugh, and then afterwards, they make you think. Mm-hmm. I think those are the, some of the best forms of satire. Now, there's other forms of satire, like absurdism and wordplay, that they don't really make you think, but they give you they give you a laugh. And I think that's a value. I think that's a valuable thing as well. Um, but I feel like the the stuff that I feel really proud about, the stuff that makes me go, okay, I'm glad we run this site, um, is the stuff where. It makes you laugh, and then you think there is an actual argument underneath this subtext, which is clear enough for most people to understand, clever enough to be funny, and correct, and accurate yeah. in some sense. Obviously, all this stuff is uh, subjective, but um, I feel like uh, sometimes people who try to do satire tip their hand a little bit too much, and it's too much of that subtext popping through to the uh-huh. point where it's just like a really clear observation which is like a little bit you know it's like hyper political just kind of goes after that it's like that vibe of like the alternative comic who stands up and goes like we don't like trump right and everyone claps Mm -hmm. it's like oh this is kind of Mm -hmm. you know lukewarm right um so for example we did a headline recently that i i really liked um not everyone did but uh mass shooter forced to go door to door Mm -hmm. and it's it's just about everyone being locked down and then us having this other problem that we're struggling with as a country that we kind of forget about because we have this massive problem now. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, And so, I mean, I've always been, you know, one of the things that's really interesting about uh, satire that has a truth to it, and I think the more convinced a group of people are about a set of ideologies, the more powerful satire becomes. It's not the satirist who makes it powerful, it's the environment in which they exist which makes the satire powerful. And so in a funny sense, my friends, my punk friends and I growing up had always talked about how 
punk communities were kind of like churches and religious communities with like this group think and this dogma. We'd always kind of made that parallel and thought it was kind of funny. Like, oh, these, that's kind of like our church leader and he tells us yeah. all what we have to believe. Now, what are the two biggest satire sites out there outside the onion? Mm -hmm. yeah. The punk one and the religious one. Right. Right. Yeah. So I think that there is that parallel there. And it's the environment that those two communities live in and go through, which makes the satire powerful. If I was, uh, instead of being a punk kid, I was, I don't know, a skateboarder or something. My website might not be as popular, right? Because maybe the skateboarders don't have that same level of intense right. group thinking dogma of kind of pushing the herd a certain way. And if you stray from the path, someone kicks you back in the line, you know? I think that those are the environments where using comedy almost as a cover, like a mask, to, to make your criticisms is a little more allowed. If I was able yeah. if I if I was able to say all the things I wanted to say on the hard times, you know, actually I did. I used to. I used to just say the things that I wanted to say in my subtext in my hard times headlines. It used to get me in a lot of trouble. <laughs> people didn't like me very much. They don't want that that way. Yeah, the they joke is the it, way uh, they can take it. You know, you can't get to people by preaching at them. You know, you, right. So it's just the joke allows them to get in there, and then they can think about it after, like you said. Right. That that makes once a lot I started sense. putting them in joke forms, all of a sudden all the punks like hard times, right? Yeah. But when right. I used to say, "Hey guys, I'm not sure we should do this." Well, fuck you, Matt. Yeah. Right. Fuck right. Off, so. yeah. Don't tell me. It, it, what, is it, uh, isn't it art? Like, like, like people make fun of us. Sometimes I, I really do try to. I mean, we're musicians, and we try to create, and and all. But I think even of this podcast as a modern day artistic endeavor, and I think that's what I believe about hard times. Like, I, I think you are creating something that is actually more truthful than other what people would say are the real news. Like, like you said, like people, like somebody's always fooled. Everyone's fooled by the, in quotes, real news. The, the mm -hmm. CNNs and the Fox News, they, 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 they are, their whole goal is to sell advertising or to, to, to make money. I mean, it, it is not yeah, about the no truth. Depth. And you are actually yeah. cutting straight to the bone about something that everybody kind of knows and maybe they don't want to face. And then you even, even artistically, let them off a little bit by laughing at it. Like, I mean, that is just brilliant. Like, I love that. That there couldn't be a, a better definition of art. Wait a minute. You're taking me all the way here with this thing that's uncomfortable, and I, then I get to laugh. Like, that, that's, <laughs> that, that is art. Even well, though I mean, it skewers hey, me, I get to right. laugh. Thank you for yeah, not being so hard on me. I get and you showed to laugh. Me. Yeah, totally. Well, I mean, that's the goal. I would say that what we are, or what we try to be, maybe what we are in our best moments, is closer to the lived truth the truth that we all yeah. feel in our hearts and that we go about our our everyday life seeing and and but we aren't closer to the truth in that we don't have the stats to back up what we're saying we don't have the sources what we have is that we're all going through the same thing together and we feel this and it hasn't quite translated in the cnn or the fox news um for example, just, you know, whatever it is, you're watching a, a, a news conference and you're like, this guy's a fucking idiot. We're able to say, this guy's a fucking idiot. Whereas right. the news has to go through and say, well, he didn't do well on this test and he, you know, didn't pass this grade or whatever. Right. Uh, <laughs> right. So we're Round able to about. get straight. Yeah. yeah, we're able to get straight to the bone cool. of, the, uh, of the feeling, which can feel closer to the truth. But ultimately, I think objectively, 
you have to wait around for the real news to actually get to the bottom of these things. Yeah. <laughs> that that's no. a great way to look at it. That's that's terrific. Who is the godfathers of this art form to you? Like who is it the political satirists of cartoons or the Simpsons or like I don't I don't know the history of it of, of comedy and things like that, but is there like godfathers of this art form, satire? Yeah, you know, I probably should know the answer to that question. Um <laughs> I know that I know that satire has been around for a very long time. I've tried to look into it a couple times. It gets a little murky on your definitions. Uh, but, you know, people, as far as I understand, there's like a lot of satire in like Shakespeare. And yeah. a lot of the early playwrights use satire. Mm -hmm. They use different satirical tools, though. And then there's different schools of satire. It, it got a little, I tried to look into it. Got into it. got a little confused. The type of satire that we do, right, is like the news news satire news writing satire and i think you have to think that the godfathers of that are the onion um so that would be like our most direct uh godfather i know as a kid the person who i grew up watching and understanding uh as a satirical uh inspiration would be uh stephen colbert with the colbert yeah. rapport mm -hmm. was that was like a, a big thing for me i still think that uh, from time when he turns it on, he's one of the best at it. An uh, interesting example of that was like conspiracy theory has been a target of satire for a long time, but most people really dropped the ball with it. It's been kind of a hard thing to satirize, I think, because it's so outlandish in its nature. I've seen The Onion try to do a conspiracy theory thing that didn't do that well. We tried to do one that didn't do that well. There was a Comedy Central show called like, I think it was like Jordan Klepper did it or something like that, and it bombed. Mm -hmm. And everyone's kind of tried to do this um, conspiracy theory satire. And then I don't know why Stephen Colbert, who Stephen Colbert just seems like he's decided to like stop telling jokes or stop being funny, which is an interesting career right. choice for him. Right. But there was something recently <laughs> where he he just he decided to do a satire of Alex Jones. And if you Googled like Stephen Colbert, Alex Jones, and you watch a video, I think it was like maybe like a year ago. Man, does he nail it! And it just—it was just this flash of brilliance where I was like, "Oh, right. that's right!" Like this guy like, is top notch when it comes to satirizing things. I just don't know why he doesn't do that anymore. Now it's just like—it's like Michael Jordan playing baseball and Jim Carrey doing painting, <laughs> exactly. right? Yeah. Like, like I just saw this. I'm just like, "Wow, this guy's like—you know—a lot of people have tried to do this, and here he is just knocking it out of the park, and he's not not even make it look hard, you know." And then whatever next segment, he's back to just talking about how he's like. He's got the most fucking boring shtick nowadays. He's just like, <laughs> I love my wife. It's like, dude, who gives a fuck? What are you talking about? Like his <laughs> yeah. retirement tour or something? <laughs> well, I think that the problem with, with it is the same problem that comedians have. And I bet you get this all the time because our even our friend Lunsford said he sent you in some, uh, he said he sent in to the hard time some ideas. I bet you get it constantly where people want to send you in ideas and they think they're so funny, just like they think, oh, I... I tell jokes at my job. I'm I'm a comedian too. Uh, they like they do not understand the actual skill level of a comedian or a great art. You know, a, a great headline even like like they don't they do not respect I, that in the same way as they do other art forms. The one thing I will say about that though is that we try to not look at people's credentials because we found some of our favorite headline writers are just like it's just like a lawyer. It's just like a random guy. We have a guy yeah. who's like he's like a a uh, higher up sergeant in the army and he writes great headlines um and a lot of times when people i i personally have always i think touring the country as a young kid in a punk band 
I've been really turned off and disheartened by the level of uh, creativeness and art and media that is, it only represents like one sliver of the country in this weird way. And I've always, so I've been trying to make our website a little bit different in the notion that any of your friends who want to write for it have a fair shot. We're actually one yeah. of the only websites who we do open submissions. So we get submissions every single day. And the way our process works is that actually a, a chunk of our editors look over every single open submission and try to find something worthwhile. So everyone has an even playing field. Um, now that that involves us wasting a lot of time, but it's something that I believe in because yeah. I like finding those diamonds in the rough. That guy who's not a comedian, but for some reason is just like the fucking funniest guy in his office and for some reason has a grasp of the format of satire. That's one of the hardest things because some of my funniest friends just can't write a satire headline to save their life, you know? Um, <laughs> mm -hmm. A certain voice and a certain tone to it. Actually, I found a lot of people really disappointed when they meet me because they like invite me. They invite me over to like these like, hey, we're all at the bar, like come over. And then they just go, this is my friend Matt, and they just like point at me and they're like expecting There's me. Something I don't know, hilarious. Tap yeah. dance or something, you know? And Be I'm funny. Like, yeah, exactly. Do something hilarious. Say something hilarious to him right now. I'm like, guys, I quietly in my bedroom look over satire headlines and edit them and tweak them and publish them. I'm not like, I'm not a stand-up comic. You know what I mean? Uh, so, yeah, I, I, it's really interesting, the people who end up being great at satire. The one thing I noticed growing up, um, my dad was like a hardworking guy, uh, never did anything artistic. But I realized when we used to watch the news <laughs> as a little kid, he would constantly pause it and turn to me and make jokes and like satirize the oh, people awesome. and then press yeah. play. And then he'd pause it and he'd make a joke and he'd rewind back. Like, Look how he said this thing. And. So, like, my dad has actually been satirized in the news to me ever since I was a toddler. Um, so, I don't know. Maybe that's... So, does that mean it. that it's a little bit more of an analysis skill than a performance skill, basically, is how I would split that. Like, the yeah. the, fo the focus on how it works and what they're saying, and what that, that's an analysis. It's an and analysis, then, yeah. The other thing that I think about is, probably the Bad Ball and B has this, too. I think it's on, in order to really satirize something properly, you first have to kind of fall in love with it. And really understand it, live mm -hmm. it, and then you'll really know its flaws. Then you'll know what to poke yeah. at. Um, and I think that's why people are okay with it. Because like I'm able to satirize punk because I played in a punk band. I lived a punk life. People know me. You can. There's probably a punk kid in any city in the country who might have met me at one point. You know, people go, "Oh, he's an actual punk kid. He knows what he's talking about." I think probably the Babylon B for the same reason gets away with criticizing these very sacred ideas. Because at first they were in love with it before they decided to satirize it. So it is like an analysis, but it also comes, I think, from like a a fandom. You have to make a fan of something first and engage mm -hmm. with it, consume it, love it, right? Then satirize it. I think a well, little Matt, bit. Some people are probably curious what your punk band was. Then, if you don't mind saying that, that you've been in out a couple. in the country and stuff like that. I played in one called Zero Progress. I played in one called Pure. I played Green in one Day. Called, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> might, have, might have heard of it. Uh, yeah, and then in high school, I played in a band called Negative Choice and a band called Skull Stomp. <laughs> oh, I like that one. That's good. Yeah. It's really funny because we uh, were on the opposite side of the country. We were in South Carolina trying to do bands. We didn't even know. We, I mean, I didn't even know punk existed, literally. <laughs> like, I, I literally only knew 
Offspring and Green Day, and I thought that was what punk was. Like if you yeah. if you'd have said the word Fugazi or something, we yeah, you know, I, I mean. It, uh, anything, bad religion, whatever punk band you wanted to say, or or even independent band, we didn't know what was it like. Uh, so that that's one of the things I think you have to really know what you're talking about when you do satire. Like, so you yeah. knew you were in the scene, and the California scene was probably a million times better. Like, you were probably in high school in real band. Like, it was probably a way more real band than us playing at. Uh, we we played at a bar called For What It's Worth to mm -hmm. ourselves and no one mm -hmm. was there and and no they sense. only wanted to hear like Hootie and the Blowfish covers <laughs> like it, maybe in California at least they knew what punk was yeah I grew I mean I grew up within you know a 30 minute driving distance of one of the longest standing punk clubs in the world 94 Gilman Street and I you know grew up going some of my first punk yeah. shows were pretty much every punk band if they do a tour they come through the Bay Area so I was super spoiled in that way I also uh in Charlottesville we played in a DIY spot called like I think like the Sewer Mansion, and I got electrocuted hella bad. <laughs> uh, it was like in the basement <laughs> of this house, and there was lights, like Christmas tree lights, were lighting the area where we were playing. You know, there's like 50 people in a basement, and there's a microphone with like a torn cable to it, and then puddles yep. of water on the floor. And at one point, so it's like just water and electricity everywhere. At one point, I kneeled down a little bit while I was screaming, uh, you know, into the microphone, and I got electrocuted so bad, I jolted up, right, and just jumped. And later on, uh, we're at, at dinner later, and I'm hanging out with my guitarist, and he's like, man, that song, you were so into it, it was like this spirit was just flowing through you, you <laughs> jumped lot. up so high, and I go, dude, that was electricity flowing through me. <laughs> no. I was being electrocuted. Um, but yeah, I love uh, South Carolina and North Carolina. I played at some cool spots there. Um, the Carolinas are great. I, I love those places. Um, particularly Charlottesville is a really cool city. I had a great time there. Charlotte, North Carolina. Charlottesville is Virginia, but yeah, <laughs> perfect. Char yeah, yeah. Dude, honestly, <laughs> my stories are so fucked up because when you go on tour, you're only in a place for like twelve hours. You know what I mean? So mm -hmm. yeah, Charlotte's is that wait Charlotte. Charlotte, Charlotte North, Carolina. North Carolina. That's a And then Charlottesville, yeah. Virginia, which is where University of Virginia is. Got it. I've been to both mm -hmm. those places. I was trying mm -hmm. to talk about Charlotte. Yep. That's what I figured. Yeah, this is this is trivia. Do I see you have a, a book, a Hard Times book? Yeah, we got a Hard Times book. Uh it's put out by an actual publisher. So you can go into almost any Barnes and Noble and pick it up. Uh awesome. or just order it on Amazon. There's actually an audiobook too, which we recorded over the course of several days. I don't know if anyone is buying that, but if you are, if you like audiobooks, there's me and the other writers reading the stories. Uh this book, we put a lot of work into these books. They, they uh I after we put this book out, the book is as if the hard times existed since 1976 and has been writing stories ever since. So we created this whole fake history, this narrative about the company. We created That's all so these awesome. new articles. It's like 80% new content, right? We go to go see our book in Barnes & Nobles. It's right there in the comedy section. It's facing out. We're so happy. Look at this. You know, we have a real book. It's like a big coffee table book. It's beautiful. I look so excited. We start flipping through the other books. Dude, these books are like 
10 things Trump would tweet if he was a bunny. And then there's just like so much white space. And we're like, why do we put so much work into this thing? No one else. Seriously. Any book around us was just like, it took 30 minutes max to make. And we had took yeah. months, mo years of meetings and just trying to tweak this thing. We have original art in there. It's insane. Uh, I mean, if you like hard time stuff and you want a whole bunch of new stuff that hasn't been seen anywhere else before, check out the hard times book. But the art, let me tell you something. No matter what I say when I'm promoting the next book, oh my God, there's going to be less. It's going to be so much less. It's going to be white space. There's going to be blank pages. Our next book, <laughs> we are not putting the same amount of time into it. <laughs> well, we really appreciate you spending time with us today. I think that what you do is very important, very entertaining, very engaging. Is there, uh, what's the best way to be a fan? Is it is it really just a like on Facebook, or is the, what's the what's the ideal way to get your content in the in the direct way? Sure. Yeah. I mean, well, we have a newsletter if you want to sign up for that, and then that will send you all of our headlines once a day. You also get a discount on our merch. Um, if you're a fan of Hard Times, it's the hardtimes.net backslash newsletter. Um, but also, you know, just come to our website and check it out. We have like Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, but those things actually don't show you all of our articles. So if you're a fan of us on Instagram, which a lot of people are, and they actually only think of us as an Instagram, you see about one of every six articles we publish. So, you know, if you just go to the website, they're all on the homepage, sign up for the newsletter. Um, and ultimately just, if you're a fan, thank you for uh, reading our stuff. We hope right you get on. some, some joy out uh of it. All right, real quickly, before we let you go, Matt, uh, so our friend Aaron Lunsford sent you in some headlines, and All he right. wrote some stuff, and <laughs> I just I just hit him up. I was like, what did you send in? And he's embarrassed. He does not want me to do this, but I I just want you to like do a boring or something, because I'm going to read you a couple of his headlines that he sent you folks at hard times. All right. He's he's a he's he's a stand-up comedian. He was in a uh, band called SCD's Burn for a long time. He's a drummer. He wrote, uh, groundbreaking, local band, first in 20 years, not to mature on sophomore album release. That's a, yeah, that's a, that's a good concept. Um, Boring. I, I'm over, moving on. Overdo, overdoing, <laughs> it, overdoing it on the um, role reversal, the groundbreaking, first, yeah. um, all that sort of stuff. The, the observation is a good one, but if you all can right. get a more clever way of putting it, then that would be a good yeah, headline. It, I love that you said he's not clever. Uh, floor, okay, how about this one? Florida man falls in love with Christian hardcore chick, agrees to blowjobs only until marriage. <laughs> uh, we uh, we try to stay away from anything that's meme-related, and the Florida man stuff has become a meme. Oh, nice, mm. nice. Uh, I don't know. What's, some, what's another This one? premise seems decent to me. It, it says, local House of Blues stagehand. I've been dreaming of loading 19-year-old kids' gear onto an elevator since I was six years old. Yeah. That That's uh, very funny. We... We don't run headlines with quotes in them very often, but there's Ooh. a there's a uh, a video we did called uh, "Grumpy Sound Man." I think you guys, as musicians, would get a kick out of it. it we made it a while back, uh, but it, it has some of those concepts in it. The grumpiest sound man, by the way, that is the most funny ever is your neck of the woods. He worked at the boardwalk in mm -hmm. Orangevale. His name is Claude. Grumpiest, <laughs> most hilarious sound man of all time. You should try to track him. Down. I'll send you guys, I'll send you guys that video. I think you'll get a kick out of it. I, will, I would all love right. to see it. Hey Matt, thank you so much for joining us. This has been great. Like, I mean, I, uh, dude, I'd love to uh, just your view on running a company and how you treat your folks. I mean, even I was just, I was, I was looking on your site and how you, 
actually do. I mean, it, I don't think people understand how hard it is to run a company and be honorable and really care about the people you pay. And yeah. the, the, the way you're doing things is just, I mean, like you're even doing with a uh, hard noise, mm-hmm. uh, is one, is one of the sites on, on there. And when you click on the about just how you actually are caring about the people, music writers and what they're writing about and all that stuff. I, I just think it's awesome. I, I mean, it, Thanks, man. It, it, it lines up exactly with everything that we've ever wanted to do. And I, I just, I really appreciate all the stuff you're doing and the fact that you are taking on this, like, I mean, your product is satire and humor and, it, it's hard to break into that and to be able to do that as great of uh, be able to do a great of a, as of a job as you guys have done. It's really awesome. So thank you so much for joining us. Thanks brother. I appreciate all those, all those kind words. You know, the only thing is I'm just, a, I'm just a music writer. So it's like, I feel like if now that I'm the publisher, if I can start to tilt the scales a little bit closer to, you know, treating music writers, right. That would be a big win for me because that's just helping myself out in the past, right. Who I used to be. Right. Um, maybe the kids who cool get into it after it. me will have a little bit of an easier time. So that's really cool. That's really cool. All Boys, right, man. So much take, for having me. Appreciate yeah, you guys. Yep. Yeah, take care, man. Be safe out there. Later. Yeah. Stay safe. Matt Sankcom. Very good. Toby, mm-hmm. another good guest. Thank you. I've been on a roll. Well, the guests what, have just been great. Why is that? What's the strategy on guests? What who? What makes a good guest on the Bad Christian Podcast these days? Um, I think it's just that they uh, are still alive in the pandemic mm, and living people, right? <laughs> Got so it. that that helps, and they, I will say, it probably does help a little bit. They're all itching to talk to people, so they're excited. <laughs> you know what I mean? They're excited. But I've been trying to branch out a little bit. Like I said, I really do believe that our one of our goals, and it's not necessarily our mission statement, is everybody knows there's more. So why wouldn't you try to find out more? You don't have to agree with guests or find out. But uh, across the board, so somebody like Matt Sankholm created a whole media company out of his brain, and now people are hired, and he's figuring out right now through all of this still how to keep those people employed and what it's like to have advertising and still create great content and all that stuff. I mean, those are people that are doing really creative things in this world, and so I want people to be able to hear that. So, And he, yeah. he, was, he was actually just great and funny, so I, I really did enjoy that interview no matter what. I is think happening in the world. The trend that I'm seeing on the guests that are working are things that I mean, it's almost always stuff where there's creativity involved and somebody's figuring out a way or knows something, right. or if it's just something that we're curious about or that's worth being curious about. Like last week, um, I thought it's just if there's things. It, either way, those words keep coming up for me, and I'm just trying to identify them as we understand what this show is, since it's not about. Uh, continuing to take shots at evangelical Christianity so much yep. anymore. I mean, that's not exactly what the show is, um, and it may have been at some point, but I'm trying to always get a grip on what is it, what is it that we're doing, and try to, instead of dictate it, just notice it as it merges. And I keep thinking more and more that the people that are in the BC Club themselves, when I am looked at them, I see that reflecting kind of what the show is, and they're curious people who want to be stretched and challenged that yep. want to ask questions Basically, they have questions. That's why we got in trouble at church and school because, right. well, we got questions. I mean, I'm not telling you what to do. I'm just saying I have questions. It doesn't seem like everybody has answers here, and I'm in trouble just for asking. So it seems like curious people, curiosity killed the cat, they say. So yep. I think that's part of it. And then we're always naturally attracted to creative things and creative solutions because if you're not fitting in the normal systems of things, 
you're going to have to get creative to figure out your own way in life. So I think that basically embodies um, what our community is. And that kind of, uh, if that's informing who our guests are, I mean, it's just things that we think are in that vein, then I think that's really good. The BC Club, I want to say thank you to. It's been really, really great. Uh, it's. I know that they've had a hard time over the years in, s- in some similar ways that we have. And the whole BC Club has got this weird thing about it, how it's the same that it's always been. It feels very consistent. But at the same time, all those people have gone on a, a, a journey too. And a lot of them have been in there for five, six years, stuff like that. And they're still there. And they've changed a ton. But somehow everybody's still a community. It really is a real community. Yeah, so it really some, is. We got some commercials from people that sent in stuff instead of us trying to just pump up the BC Club every week and say join it and feel self-deprecating about that. Uh, we got some other people just to say what their experience is uh, is in the club, and so we thought we would do that. But if you're interested in joining the BC Club, if you've been meaning to get around to it, go to thebcclub.com, and then you can hang out with people like us and these other people. Like, uh, Reva, do you have a commercial you can roll today? I do. Here's one from Josh. From Josh, all right. Hey, what's up, Bad Christian Community? My name's Josh. Are you in the BC Club yet? If you're not, what's going on with that? I've been in the club for about five years now. Started listening to Bad Christian because I loved Emery, and anything that they put out I was, like, really interested in. So I wanted to check it out. And uh, when I joined, I thought about all the perks that you could get, but I never expected there to be a community within the BC Club that would help me so much. You know, the club has helped me through my faith, dealing with depression, and so much more. It's a big joke in the community that if there's a topic, there's a BC subgroup for it. (laughs) And all the subgroups grew from this amazing group of people. The club is ever-changing. It's imperfect. Sometimes it's super frustrating. Other times it's super uplifting. But that's what it's like to be a part of a family. And I've grown so much being a part of it. So if you consider joining and you're open to a bunch of imperfect people who are totally open about their imperfections, then you will find it a home as I have. Give it a shot. Apparently, hell doesn't exist, so you've got nothing to lose. But for real, do it. <laughs> wow. That's a sweet note from Josh. Josh has really been around is. a long time. Thank you, Josh. We appreciate that. You said it better than we could have said it, and we would sound like, you know, pretty arrogant for saying that we're here to the BC Club that we've created will change your life. But apparently, it's true. But uh-huh. I, I didn't say it. That's Josh's words. It will change your life, though. So just join today if you're not. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want your life changed. <laughs> if you don't want your life changed as you were. Right. All right, let's get out of here. Uh, I was trying to look up fart jokes, funny fart jokes. I thought I just wanted to end with something really funny, and they're just not – fart jokes aren't that good. Like, you know, and I, I, I realized why. Because a fart is so funny that – what are you going to do, make a joke about it? No, and, yeah, the you're fart just like, is better. You're just appropriating what is funny from the mm. fart. Right. So a fart joke is inherently an appropriation, being that farts themselves are just completely dynamic, natural, and right. sufficient in themselves. Right. I mean, well, they're, just, they're, they're just perfect the way they are. What they, about a fart imitation fart sound, though? That's a kind of a gray area then. Ooh, you're right. No, Nobody farts more than my dog. My wife today told me she, that she's actually nervous walking our dog because she thinks people will think that she's the one farting because <laughs> nobody thinks this is the dog. I was like, are you serious? Like, you're actually worried? She's like, well, I mean, yeah, because our dog, I mean, our dog farts unbelievably loud, but it's always like, like just like a nice, quick one, but it sounds very human. So I would anyway. say that's no issue with everybody wearing masks. You can fart all you want now. Yeah, I, I guess you'd rather somebody fart than cough. 
Yeah, I mean, you got a I mask saw some on. article that said you might could get it from farting. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you can smell the, the fart, then how you know there ain't no droplet in the particles? Oh, I know. If you smell a fart, there's got to be I some mean, droplet, corona droplets in there. I mean, it's it's shit in there. So you, I mean, you smell can it, get it, so there. it's something's in your nose. It got right. there, right? Fecal some poop something smell got there. That so smells bad. Corona can't make inside it. of your nose. Oh, my God. Personal things, and to think that somehow I could always come clean. And you shake your head just like you know. La da 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 da, la da 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 da, la da la da 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 da, la da 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 da, la da. To see. Jessica's a gossip, Lauren's a slut 